Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. You know all that junk mail you get in your inbox? In your mailbox. Full of offers to try this and buy that. Promising a world of wealth, happiness, success. Follow that political party, program, or person, and all will be well. In fact, better than well. So I occasionally have taken the bite and followed. And in the end, though, they have all fallen short. Classic case of overpromise, underdeliver, or worse. I'm left with questions unanswered, a hole in my core that cannot be filled. You might say a life without purpose, without rest, without peace. So one morning, I'm sorting through the mail, and there's a letter that caught my eye. There was nothing flashy about it, but I felt that somehow it was special. So I placed it in the palm of my hand and slowly opened it. A royal invitation. It did not promise money, fame, a life of ease, quite the opposite. But what it did, does promise, is so, so much more. The last word of the invitation weighs heavily upon me because it poses a choice that I must make. A choice to live for myself or for something much greater. I read it again. Come. Well, greetings to all of you. I'm excited today because we are starting a brand new sermon series for the summer, and it revolves around the great invitation of Jesus, follow me. So as a church, we're going to dwell on this theme for the next eight weeks. I want to welcome all those uh, watching from our various regionals, the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary, and our regionals in Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. You know, as I reflect on following Jesus, I vividly remember the day of my baptism like it was yesterday. I was 18 years old. It was Christmas Day, and I was at church early in the morning. After the Christmas worship service was the baptismal service. It was a special occasion, and there was a, a lot of excitement in the air as several people were making a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in many countries in the world, including India, Baptism is seen as the official ceremony where someone converts to the Christian faith. So when you're baptized, you officially leave your previous religion, and now you identify yourself with Christianity. So as you can imagine, that morning I was excited and nervous at the same time. The previous few days had been difficult, trying to explain to my family the rationale for my decision. And they were very upset with uh, what I was about to do. I still remember this uh, so fresh in my mind. The church members gathered around the small baptismal tank in the backyard of our church. And I was the first one to go into the waters. It was the month of December. The water was cold, but I didn't mind. And as I stepped into the water, everyone gathered around the baptismal tank and started to sing in one accord the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back. Do you know this song is a popular baptismal song in many churches around the world? My pastor's wife told me when I came out of the water 
the joy of the Lord was so evident in my face. Now, I wish I have a picture of that momentous occasion in my life, but the memory and the emotions of it all will still remain as long as I live. The decision to follow Jesus has made all the difference in my life. And that is why I believe one of the greatest invitations ever given to all of humanity is the invitation of Jesus, follow me. If you look at most invitation cards, they usually have at the bottom the words RSVP. You know what it stands for? RSVP is an abbreviation of a French phrase which translated simply means, please respond. So the person sending the invitation would like you to tell him or her whether you accept or decline the invitation. So invitations call for a choice. So in the same way, Jesus gives an invitation to every single person in this world, no matter what ethnicity, culture, religion, race, or color. It is a universal invitation that awaits an individual response. What happens when you are a sweepy and say yes to Jesus' invitation? What changes does Jesus bring in our life as we dedicate ourselves to following him? That's what we're going to explore this summer. Today in this opening message of the series, we're going to look at a passage of the Bible that takes us right into the heart of what Christianity is all about. This passage describes in simple words the tender and passionate invitation of Jesus to a world that is desperately lost. And this is the only invitation that brings true hope. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we read our text for today from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At the time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we come before you eager to listen to your voice. We pray, Lord, that what we read right now will come alive through the power of your Spirit. We come to you as little children with great expectation. We know that if there's anything that would happen in our service today, any life transformation, any life change, it is only through the work of your Spirit. So we humble ourselves and we give ourselves to you, Lord. Minister to us, bring transformation in our hearts, and teach us what it means to follow you, and to respond to your invitation. So we commit this time to the leading of your Spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now, hungry at the end of the day, a 15-year-old boy 
found his mother in bed and was quite concerned. So he asked their mom, are you sick or something? The mother replied weakly, well, as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling too well. The boy said, I'm really sorry, mom, but don't you worry a bit about dinner. I'm getting pretty big now, and I'll be happy to carry you down to the stove. <laughs> well, moms, you can relate with that. Now, I say this because uh, rest is so elusive in our culture today. Summer is supposedly a restful season, but we go on our holidays and return back even more tired. We may be the busiest generation that has ever lived. And today, being busy is unfortunately equated with being important, valued, and needed. So we have somehow turned busyness into a virtue. And that's why we are a tired generation, physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted because of the pace of our life. But what we need more than physical rest is the rest of the soul. And that's why the text we read now is so relevant for today. For here Jesus promises spiritual rest to all those who come to him who are weary and burdened. I want to give you the context of our passage before we delve into it. Jesus had just finished rebuking three cities that were unrepentant and refused to believe in him. These were cities in which Jesus had performed many of his miracles. So they were first-hand witnesses to the works of Jesus. And in spite of all that, they still did not believe. They flatly refused Jesus' invitation. The people with whom Jesus had spent so much time with wanted nothing to do with him. Now, if I put myself in Jesus' shoes, I would be utterly disappointed at being rejected. But the response of Jesus is so striking. For after those stinging words of rebuke, Jesus goes right into a prayer of thanksgiving. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 says, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Through this prayer, Jesus is clarifying who is more open to accepting his invitation. In Jesus' own words, the invitation to follow him is not appealing to the wise and learned, but it's only the little children who are drawn to it. What does that mean? No, this does not mean that smart people will not come to faith in Jesus. It's not suggesting that the intellectuals will not be attracted to the gospel message. When Jesus refers to the wise and learned, it has nothing to do with academic accomplishments or mental ability. The wise and learned are those who think they are self-sufficient. They rely on their smartness to carry them through life. They put their faith in their personal resources and abilities. They do not admit their need for God, but rather they have the confidence that they can save themselves. And what Jesus says here is frightening, for God 
hides himself from such people. The little children, in contrast, are those who acknowledge their helplessness. It has nothing to do with age, but it points to a humble spiritual attitude. So that is why becoming a little child is a synonym for becoming a Christian. We can learn a lot from children, can't we? Our youngest boy, Amos, is 10 months old. His knowledge is very limited. But there's something Amos knows very well that he's sure of. Whenever I say come and extend my arms, he comes with absolutely no reservations. For Amos knows this very well, that it is safe to be in daddy's arms and scratch his face or play with his glasses or drool on his shirt. <laughs> and this is what I love about him, not the drooling part, but I love the fact that he always responds in the affirmative when I call him. Well, I must confess that it doesn't work that well with our three-year-old. <laughs> our five-year-old, well, I've given up on him. So it's this attitude of childlike faith that Jesus is referring to here. If someone stands on a lofty platform and thinks that they are somebody, God actively hides himself from that person. But when a person comes like a little child expressing their helplessness, God reveals himself to such people. Now, right after this prayer, Jesus issues the great invitation to all who are willing to come to him. Our text presents to us this grand invitation of Jesus in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The objects of Jesus' invitation are those who are bearing a heavy weight load, and stumbling along in their journey. The word weary means laboring to the point of exhaustion. Now, I've seen this in India, where people don't use U-Haul trucks when they move, but it's common to use a horse cart. So it's a familiar scene on the streets to witness a scrawny-looking horse pulling a huge load of household items. It's almost a miracle. Picture that uh, poor horse, skin and bones, in sweltering heat, pulling an enormous weight load. The Jewish people during Jesus' time were like that scrawny horse, working so hard to keep to the demands of the law. They were striving in their own strength in order to somehow earn God's favor, not knowing that it was futile. The word burdened or heavy laden is a passive word. It signifies something that is being dumped by an outside source. It's referring to an oppressive system. So Jesus is clearly referring to the religious leaders of his time. For the religious teachers of Jesus' time added their own interpretations to the law, making it almost impossible for the people to adhere to all the rules and regulations. 
So to such weary and broken people under an oppressive system, trying hard to earn their way back to God, Jesus gives this invitation, come to me. Do you know how distinctive and radical is this invitation? Founders and leaders of all the other religions merely added to the burdens of the people. The Pharisees uh, during Jesus' time were guilty of that. And so are all the other religions of the world. Hinduism speaks of the importance of accumulating good karma in order to free yourself from this endless cycle of reincarnations and rebirths. So Hindus would walk on fire, pierce their tongue, go on long, risky pilgrimages in search of salvation. Look at Buddhism. The Buddha came up with an eightfold path that supposedly helps in overcoming desire, which according to Buddhism is the root of all problems. So following this eightfold path rigidly, along with hundreds of other rules, will somehow bring spiritual enlightenment or nirvana. The religion of Islam teaches about five pillars that are binding on all Muslims. One of the pillars is observing the month of Ramadan, a holy month for all Muslims. As you may know, we are presently in the month of Ramadan and it's almost winding up. So for the entire month of Ramadan, all Muslims are required to fast during daytime. This is not an option, it's a command. The only exception being small children, elderly, and the chronically ill. So no food and water from sunrise to sunset. Now, can you imagine living in the Middle East somewhere with temperatures hovering around 50 degrees Celsius and you cannot have a sip of water? Religions of the world and religious leaders who instituted them attempt to appease God and win His approval through their self-efforts and human rules. They dump an enormous weight load on their followers. If you do all these things, live morally, and rigidly follow the protocol, perhaps God may accept you. Now look at what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. All these external rules and regulations may give an appearance of spirituality, but they have absolutely no power to transform the human heart wherein lies the root of all problems. Only the grace of God can bring about that transformation. And yet all the religions of the world specialize in rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. And that's why they cannot bring a sense of release, but they only pile up feelings of guilt and failure and inadequacy. For how on earth will you know that you made the cut? That you've been good enough or moral enough or religious enough or you've fulfilled all the requirements in order to make it to heaven? And in the midst of the plethora of religions, 
stands the figure of Jesus Christ, who's the only one who does not give a long list of to-do things for his followers. He doesn't give us an impossible code of conduct or a huge checklist of rules to follow. He does not ask for a sacrifice or demand that we all perform a ritual. Jesus extends a relationship to all of us when he says, come to me. That is the crux of the gospel that makes the Christian faith unique and different. Jesus' invitation is not to believe in a set of doctrines or creed. It's not to come under a system. It's not to affiliate yourself with a religion or a church. But the invitation is to experience him. Come to know him personally in your life. And make the decision to follow him. Why is this good news? When Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. He's not describing a select group of people. This is his description of the entire human race. For every one of us, irrespective of our stage of life, economic standing, education, accomplishments, religious beliefs, we all are weary and burdened one way or the other, for we all carry a yoke. We are yoked to a career, yoked to a relationship, yoked to a habit, yoked to pleasure, yoked to money, yoked to counterfeit gods. And the end result of all of that is a deep restlessness inside our soul. But here's the good news. It's to the burdened that Jesus promises rest. As Jesus says in the Gospels, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So if you think your life is good, and you are self-sufficient, and all things are going well for you, Jesus has nothing to offer you. But when you know that you're struggling, when you know that you're wounded, and you're hurting on the inside, and you know that you cannot carry on with life without help from above, and you come to Jesus broken and wounded and weary, he will not turn you away. For Jesus lifts that burden or yoke that is overwhelming. He frees us from the shackles that are binding. He breaks the chains that are disabling, and he fills the void and restlessness in our soul with his presence. And when that happens, you experience rest. What does this rest mean? It's not referring to a snooze or an afternoon siesta. It's not referring to retirement from all forms of work. But the rest is when we are all along trying to accept, you know, attain God's acceptance through our self-efforts, we cease from that striving when we come to Jesus. For when you come to Him, you are accepted just as you are. 
You become a new creation. You have a new identity, a new sense of purpose and vision for your life. And you don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive after it. It's a gift God gives to you. And that's how you can rest in the assurance that you're sons and daughters of the living God. I want us to notice now that our text presents the invitation of Jesus as twofold. You cannot separate them. The first invitation, as we have seen so far, is to come to Him, to accept our need for God and come to Him in humble dependence. And He gives us rest, He eases our yoke and burdens. But many people stop there. They're happy that they've been forgiven and their burdens have been removed. And they don't pay attention to the second part of the invitation. And that's an invitation to take. I want you to look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. It's important we understand this. We come to Jesus weary and heavy laden, carrying a yoke. And when we come to him, Jesus eases that yoke and relieves us of our burdens. But it doesn't stop there. But an exchange takes place. Jesus takes our burdens and he gives us his. So that is the full transaction. We give our heavy yoke to Jesus and we now come under his yoke. Too many people want the rest that Jesus offers. They want to get rid of their burdens. They don't want to come under Jesus' yoke. They still want to hold on to their rights. They still want to hold on to the control over their life. So that's the postmodern mindset of a, a pick-and-choose mentality. Oh, I like what Jesus has to offer, but hey, don't ask me anything in return. Now, one of the reasons we have so many anemic, dry churches in North America is because of our failure to emphasize this side of the invitation. Because Jesus is not calling for a passive acceptance of his forgiveness, but an active submission to his lordship that will change your priorities. I believe the best analogy for following Jesus is submitting to his yoke. I want to show you a picture of a yoke so you'll fully understand what it means if you can put it on the screen. A yoke, as you see, is an instrument of work. You know, it's ironic here that you come to Jesus weary and burdened, and Jesus doesn't give you a bed so you can sleep. He gives you a yoke which is meant for work. But this is meaningful, productive labor. As a carpenter, I'm pretty sure Jesus made several yokes like these. The yoke is a harness that goes around the necks of two oxen so they can pull a load together. 
So accepting Jesus' yoke is a picture of submission to Him. We renounce the control of our life, and now we align ourselves with Jesus. But as you can see from that image, this is also a picture of help. Because you're no longer pulling the Lord alone. You are now yoked with Jesus, and He comes alongside you. See, this is so important. We understand that the Christian life, the Christ-centered life, is not the absence of burdens. It is certainly not a life without trials and tribulations. It's not a smooth and easy ride. But we do have the promise of a faithful companion who comes alongside us and walks with us every step of the way, and nothing can separate us too because of the love that we share with each other. And in verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me is the same word for disciple. So the invitation to come to him and take his yoke is synonymous with the invitation to become his disciples. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for faithful followers, disciples who will follow his example, imitate him, and walk in his steps. And in each team of oxen, one is a leader and the other follows. So in the same way, as we come under Jesus' yoke, he leads the way. Our responsibility is to follow him and be in alignment with him. So we don't turn our own way, our own preferred direction, but we follow the cues from the one with whom we are yoked with. The Christian life is a partnership between you and Jesus. And when you have Jesus in your life, you work hand in hand in order to accomplish God's redemptive purposes for the world. See, Jesus uses here two words to describe himself. He doesn't say, learn from me, for I am wise and powerful, or I am holy and eternal, or I am Alpha and Omega. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. Jesus is not a hard taskmaster or a slave driver who will abuse you, but he leads you with compassion and understanding. And there's something else you need to know about Jesus' yoke. You know, if the prospect of losing control of your life and giving it into Jesus' hands seems a little bit daunting, this is what you need to know. Look at verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke we previously carried was heavy and unbearable. But Jesus' yoke is easy. The Greek word for easy there signifies something that is custom-built or tailor-made. So it's like taking the measurement of the oxen and, and coming up with a, a new yoke for the oxen that fits perfectly. So it's not a one-size-fits-all yoke, but it's fully compatible 
The yoke we previously carried was a misfit. We labored for the wrong cause, and it left us exhausted. But the work Jesus gives you now is appropriate to your abilities and giftedness. And that's why when you take this yoke and follow Jesus, it leads to life. It leads to freedom. It leads to rest. At this time, we're going to watch a, a testimony of a young lady from our church. How she came to Jesus with her burdens and the difference Jesus has made in her life. She has made the decision to follow him. So let's watch this video. Throughout my life, I've gone through some very difficult circumstances, even with Christ in my life. Looking back, I see now how God, through His grace, was faithful to pull me out of those situations or walk alongside me in those times. He was right there, next to me, whether I acknowledged Him or not. I've struggled in my life to give my worries, my problems, and my pain over to God. Even today, while facing difficulties with my health and relationships, I have to remind myself to trust fully in God. I'm learning that my life is not my own. It is Christ's who lives in me. I've not ever fully understood that. When I was younger, I would sing to God that I surrender all and that I would go to the ends of the earth for Him. But how could I really know what I was singing? I continue to realize that He is my strength. He is my healer. He is my comforter. He is my everything. I could not go one day without Him living and breathing in and through me. My life has not been a bed of roses since my relationship with Him has grown stronger. The truth is, my life in some ways has gotten more difficult. Rejection, loneliness, and the insecurities that manifest themselves in me has been at the core of who I am. It took complete control over my life. It seems the closer I have gotten to Christ, the more I struggle. But the Lord has been faithful and has been teaching me some very difficult but amazing lessons. He's teaching me how to live and breathe in Him alone. I'm also learning that God has a plan for everything, no matter how impossible it may seem. While living in Kuwait nine years ago, some unfortunate circumstances prevented me from attending school, so I missed my entire grade 10 year. During that year, I became very depressed, to the point that it affected me physically. When I returned to high school, I was still depressed, and now I was a year below all my friends, which was devastating to me. But I met a new girl in class that year and was able to share the love of God with her. A few months after meeting, on Good Friday, she gave her life to Christ and has never turned back. She later came to me sometime later and with tears in her eyes said, what would I have done if you did not miss that year of school and if you did not go through the things that you had gone through? 
I realized again why I must fully rely on God and His plan for my life. Dependency is the key to true freedom. Some of the greatest joys that I've experienced have come out of great challenges in my life. God has continued to bring good out of bad situations and taught me lessons along the way. In a culture that thrives on independence and individuality, I often get caught up in the rush of today's society. I keep realizing that relying on myself is futile. I know when I turn it over to God that I will find true peace in my life, even if God doesn't answer my prayers the way I see fit. I've learned that when I truly release my worries to Him, the angst and stress are taken away. I don't know what the future holds, but my trust in God and His knowledge of the outcome comforts me when I need it most. As you can see from this story, when we hand over our lives to Jesus, it does not matter how broken we are. Jesus is able to use us to make a difference in advancing His kingdom. The Romans, during Jesus' time, took cities and nations by sheer force, by their military power, and enforced submission to their authority. But Jesus doesn't do that. Although He has all the power in the world, Jesus doesn't force anyone into submission. He only gives a tender invitation and awaits our response. I want to close with this illustration. The movie Three Seasons gives us a glimpse of life in post-war Vietnam. One of the stories in the movie is about a man named Hai who drives a cyclo or a rickshaw, which is similar to a, a bicycle with a large seat in the front for a passenger. Then there is Lan, a beautiful prostitute who is forced into the strait because of grinding poverty. Lan spends her night in elegant hotels with various men. Hai regularly gives Lan a ride on his cyclo and he falls in love with her. She hates herself, hates her life, but somehow her dream is that one day she will become rich and she doesn't have to be a prostitute anymore. One day, Hai enters a cyclo race and wins the top prize. He never had any money to be able to hire land before, but now with the money that he had earned, he uses it to hire land and bring her into the hotel. And about the time in the movie when you're expecting something gross, Lan does something unexpected. In fact, hi, hi, he tells Lan that all he wanted from her was to watch her fall asleep. He had no expectations, but he wanted to fulfill her dream of sleeping in a nice hotel for a night without being exploited. And Lan slowly falls asleep and Hai quietly slips out of the room. That kind of grace transforms land, making it impossible for her to return back to her profession. Com commenting on this movie, Pastor Tim Keller says, 
having experienced for the first time someone who used his power to serve her rather than use her, Lan gets a new sense of her own dignity. She's not the same person. She's changed by the transforming grace of selfless love. Church, that describes God's invitation to us. It's an invitation of grace and selfless love where we see God is using His power to serve us. Jesus Christ, who had all the power in this world, saw us being enslaved by the very things we thought would bring us freedom. So Jesus would become a man he would empty himself of all his glory and take the form of a servant. And Jesus was bruised and beaten and his body was turned into a bloody mess on the cross. And even though he had no sins of his own, he suffered and died on our behalf to pay for our sins. And if you're sitting there and you feel beaten down on the inside, if you feel worthless and you're struggling with low self-esteem, I want you to look at God's selfless love for this is the extent God would go in order to redeem you because you are worth the price. You know, after doing all of that for you, Jesus does not bulldoze you into submission. This is the amazing part. He does not force his way into your life. But he invites you to come to him. And he patiently waits for your response. Why would we not want to respond to such selfless love? Why would we not want to give control to the one who has our best at heart? How can we not follow the one who can give us true rest? I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. Some of you, you've come here today with many burdens in your heart. And you're struggling under that load and you're wondering how am I able to move forward Jesus invitation remains come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest I want to give an opportunity for us to respond to his invitation some of you here you've never responded to that invitation the time for you to say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. There's some of you here, you've chosen to follow Jesus a while ago, but it's time for you to renew that commitment. It's time for you to make that a priority. You need to relinquish the control of your life and say, Lord, I'm gladly willing to take you your as a closing song we're going to sing I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back and even as we sing from where we are let it be a declaration
let it be a declaration of uh, your commitment to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk in his steps. And if it, it would make it more meaningful for you to come forward and kneel here at the altar, I want to welcome you to do that. I want all of us now to join together in prayer. Father, that is our declaration as a church. That we made the decision to follow you. And there is no turning back. Lord, we gladly give our lives to you, Jesus. The one who redeemed us. The one who paid for all our sins. The one who reached out to us even when we were far away from you. We thank you for your tender and gentle invitation that has serenaded us to come to you. Lord, we pray that you will have your way in our lives. That you will walk with us every step of the way and lead us and guide us in the path that you have for us. We want to deny ourselves. We want to die to our selfish ambitions and our personal agendas. And we gladly submit our lives to you, Jesus, that you will be the priority in our lives. You will be our highest source of joy and treasure. Pray for us, Lord, throughout the summer as we explore what it means to follow you in your steps. That you will continue to minister to us. You will deepen our walk with you. You will impact areas of our life that needs to be transformed. We will become more like you, Jesus. I pray for all of them at the altar, even right now. We pray, Lord, that you will remove the weariness and the burdens that they are carrying. You will bring that deep sense of freedom that comes from knowing you. And as they embrace the path of discipleship, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be upon them and that you will empower them and strengthen them to follow you faithfully. Thank you, Lord, once again for your grace, your mercy, and your love. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 